Good morning. So Elihu has finished. And Job gets what he's been wanting. Right? The whole the whole time, what has he really, really wanted? He's wanted a couple of things. What has his request been? It's kind of been what's that? Justice. He's not gonna get that. I mean, he is sort of, <laughs> not the way he thinks. He's wanted an audience with God, and he's got it. And uh, as we say, be careful what you ask for. Job chapter 38, verse 1 through 3. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this who darkens counsel by words without knowledge? So now prepare yourself like a man. I will ask you questions, and you shall answer me. So what, what was it? Uh, there's some ironies here. Um, when, when you get an audience with God or, or when God interacts with you and, and when you ask for things from God, it almost never happens like you imagine it, right? Uh, as the old joke is, I asked for patience, God gave me kids and things like that, right? We, we ask for things and God says, I'm going to answer that, but not in the way you expect it. So he's, he's been asking for this meeting with God and... Um, so I've never stared at a tornado. I, I find the people who chase tornadoes to be dumb. And, uh, and Job gets a tornado right in front of him. And God speaks up. I think he, right there, probably God didn't even need to say too much to him. <laughs> I was like, here I am. Um, but here's the irony of the situation. Among other things, what is uh, justice and audience with God? What has Job wanted? What is the one thing that, that in fact, Job never gets? Um, he, wanted, he wanted a justification as to why all this He wanted answers. What does Job get? What does, Job, what does God give Job? Okay, he's he's going to, and that's going to be this whole speech. What what does Job give, or what does God give Job here? He says, "I'm going to do what." Okay, what? Oh, you're going to get in questions. <laughs> you thought you were going to ask me the questions, but here's how this is going to work, Job. I'm actually going to. And I'm going to ask you questions, and you're going to answer me. <laughs> I want answers from you, buddy. Um, and so, uh, so the irony of the situation here is, is Job doesn't get what he wants, other than he gets an audience with God. In the next couple of chapters, God is as as close as I can count. Sixty-eight questions that Job gets. He gets a he gets the uh, senior essay question test, whatever. Um, and how many answers does he get? Can you imagine? How many explanations? Not a one. God never answers the who or the why or the what. I mean, he gets some answers that he wasn't looking for, but um, uh, he, he doesn't get exactly what he thought he was going to get. So, uh, we're going to 
uh, if we look at a brief summary of Job's speeches. Now, Job is given a bunch of eloquent speeches. Um, and we've seen that they favorably compare in, in some ways. And, and God is going to confirm that, in fact, um, in the last chapter, that in terms of, in terms of accuracy, um, Job is probably closer to the truth now, some of the ways he was wrong, we've, we've mentioned, was really worse than the way that the others were wrong. But, um, but he says, uh, for all the eloquence that we go, ah, yeah, you know what, I agree with that statement. And, and how smart he was to point out some of the, the logical fallacies and some of these things that were really uh, uh, profound in Job's speeches. God says, who is this who darkens counsel without knowledge? <laughs> what does that mean? Who who darkens counsel? What does that mean? Right. Okay. Polluting. Yeah. Okay. I always think of this phrase, if, if I, you know, I, I think of the, the, the statement of her, I don't even know where it's from, it's probably from a movie or something, but, uh, um, you know, we're all dumber for having heard this, you know, <laughs> it's like, we're all dumber for having listened to Job. That's, that's like, God, I mean, from God's perspective, who darkens counsel, who darkens understanding, you've made understanding dumber for all of your speeches. For, for your ignorance, and it, because you've done this without really understanding anything about what you're talking about. Now, I'm sure if he was primarily talking to the friends, this is not a, a, an acquittal of the friends. He's not even bothering with them. He never even really, in, in this sec section, he never addresses them. He's speaking to Job. Yeah, well, he does, he does deal with them in the last chapter, and he does correct them, and he does bring them back to, to correction. So, but I, I think he's really primarily dealing with Job, and that might be because of the position that Job held previously, the importance. It's like when you look at the apostles, he seems to spend a little bit more time trying to get Peter along, and I think it's because of the, among the 12, Peter was going to hold kind of an important position. And, and he really needed to get him straight because he, he's, you know, if you remember, it's Peter's statement. He's like, you know, when you repent, go back and straighten out your brothers, right? Um, and, and I think that's the, the issue is, is because, not because of who they were, but because of who Job is. Uh, so he says, prepare yourself. Get ready. Um, so I'm going to give you some questions to make you think, and we'll see if you want to answer them or not. Now, he's not going to answer them wisely. Um, so, so we can look at them in a rhetorical sense, but there's going to be some, without going into each question specifically and trying to figure out the answer to it, we want to get the, why are these questions being asked? And, and there's um, a couple of things. First of all, uh, I, I do want to mention, we're, we're not going to get through, we're not going to go through the entire chapter 38 today. Um, and the reason being, uh, in most versions, uh, uh, like Hebrew versions of the of the Old Testament, chapter 38 ends with verse 38, and ver from verse 39, it, it jumps into the next chapter. 
Um, and I think that's because um, 39 makes a natural cutoff. The first, this first section that we're going to go through, he talks about what we would call the, the inanimate nature, right? Whether it's the cosmos or whether it's, it's the world or it's the weather or whatever he does. And then, and then starting from verse 39, he's going to start talking about the animal kingdom uh, and, and things like that. So, so we're going to try to get through verse 38 and look at each section. And they're, they're grouped kind of by different topics that God is going to say, okay, so you're so smart. Let's see. Uh, so verse 4 uh, through 7, he says, Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? And to what were its foundations fastened? Who laid its cornerstone when the morning stars sang together? And all the sons of God shouted for joy. So what, what is he trying to get at here? And, and probably this is going to be repeated. The, the basic concept is, is kind of throughout the whole thing. But what is he trying to get at? When he asks, where were you? Okay, creation. Certainly he's getting back to creation. Creation of the earth. What, what, is, what is God trying to, by this question, what is, because he said, prepare yourself an answer. So, so he's got a motive for asking these questions. God's not just asking random questions. What is he trying to evoke in, in Job? Yeah, okay. Okay, yeah. <laughs> Where have you been, buddy? Uh, have a sense of awe in my presence. Were you there? Right. Um, how do you compare to me? And what area can you possibly demand answers? <laughs> you weren't even there when I was doing all these things. Um, he says, who determined its measurements? So he goes specifically into to the earth. Who, who did all these things? Who planned all these things? Um, no, we say, obviously, God did. That's a rhetorical question. So why ask this? this who, who did all these He's asking Job this. What does he want Job to get from this question or line of questioning? Yeah. It's interesting because he says, who laid the line on it? Now, the obvious answer is God. Uh, but there is, I think... Um, I think it's called the the ontological argument, or I can't remember. There's so many arguments for the the existence of God, and one of them is basically, if if God isn't the first cause, then there has to be a first cause somewhere, right? So God has to be the cause or the result of of, of some other cause, right? Eventually, somewhere you have to get to the first thing in the history of existence, right? It's either God or it's something that's more powerful than God, and that's God, and, and then our God becomes little God, right? Somewhere there has to be a first thing, and of course, atheism can't explain it, and I think that's kind of what God is driving at, not necessarily for the purpose of discussing with atheism, but, but it's a, a general idea. Job, you're coming to me asking me questions, and I've got to give an answer to you is your position, right? 
so so you're speaking to me as someone who isn't totally omnipotent. So so who was there? Who who is there that that I answer to? I don't answer to anybody. If it's not me, there must be some power that that laid the line on the foundations of the earth and, and figured all this stuff out. Because in that case, I would not be perfect. I wouldn't know everything. I wouldn't. I, I would have the. You would have the right to call me into question. But if I did this, you've got no right. <laughs> you are way out of line. Right? There is something in this in this verse that when we get into um, on occasion, we get into Job. There are amazing statements. Sometimes people take amazing statements too far. And I want to, when we come across those, I want to identify them um, because you can damage uh, your credibility by saying things that are not true, even if you're trying to prove something that's noble and good, um, which really has been Job's friends. <laughs> They've damaged their own credibility throughout this entire book by by speaking for God in a way that God didn't really care for. And um, the morning stars sang together. I heard someone say um, that, you know, back then science didn't have the ability to, to understand things. And, uh, and, and so we now know that stars emit noise. Well, then we get into the whole, you know, if a tree falls in the forest and there's no one there. Forget that argument. And, and this is an evidence of something that this must be inspired because Job couldn't have known that. And, and God is telling him this. And there is a problem. Can anyone spot the problem with this argument? The morning stars singing together when the earth was created. Okay. No. All right. All right. What day was the earth created on? In the beginning, God said, let there be light, just, just light. Then God said, right? And God created the heavens and the earth, and the Spirit was hovering over the surface of the deep. Right, that's verse 2. It was created on day one. When were stars created? Day four. So the morning stars weren't making no noise when the earth was created. Just, just so we know. They got to wait. The answer is in the second part of this verse. All the sons of God shouted for joy. He's speaking of angels, morning stars. These are references. Stars are, are, are uh, on occasion referenced. Right? Um, Lucifer was was compared to a fallen star or a morning star. Right? So, so these are these are references to angels. There's no divine science in this verse. We might find it somewhere. 
but not in this verse. So just be aware of those things. Okay, verse 8, let's move on. Verse 8 through 11, he says, Who sudden shut in the sea? Wow, she sells, she sells down by the seashore here. Oh, yeah. Who shut in the sea with doors when it burst forth and issued from the womb? When I made the clouds its garment and thick darkness its swaddling band. When I mi- fixed my, lim- my limit for it and set bars and doors. When I said, this far you may come, but no farther. And here your proud waves will stop. I love this section for a number of reasons. You might guess why. But let's look first of all. He talks about the, really talking about the seas, the ocean. Um, What is the idea of God that he presents to Job here? Okay. God makes order and God limits things. Uh, He has the ability to restrain by his power. And so who has the ability to question his power? Right now we're talking about into Job's circumstances. I set limits on things. Whether he does it and makes each wave come up this high and stop, or whether he just sets a law in motion, however that works, our lives work the same way. God sets limits and he allows things. And he doesn't have to tell us why or what purpose. It's just that's the way it is. Incidentally, We don't have to worry about rising sea levels. Don't be afraid of it. God says, I set the limit. That's where it stops. (laughs) Just there's little incidental things like that that I love in the scriptures. Like, I've got this under control. Verse 12 through 15. Have you commanded the morning since your days began? And caused the dawn to know its place, so that, the, so that it might take hold of the ends of the earth and the wicked will be shaken out of it. It takes on form like clay under a seal and it stands out like a garment. From the wicked, their light is withheld and the appraised arm is broken, or the upraised arm is broken, excuse me. What part of science do we come to now? Get into our solar system. And God expands his view a little bit. Let's look outside of our earth and see my power. See how it's working there. Who knows what deism is? Have you ever heard of deism? What's deism? Okay. We believe that God exists, but we're not necessarily willing to go into whether it's Jesus or. Okay. Okay. So that's a major tenet of of deism. Deism also has an aspect or a view of how God works, which is what? You know? This was actually held by a, a number of, not all of, some people exaggerate it, our founding fathers. There was a a connection with with France uh, because of our connection with France during the two revolutions. A lot of 
French criticism of uh, Voltaire and some of those worked its way into American theology. And, uh, and so a, a, a significant number of people started adopting some of these views. And we're still suffering from this today. Um, but um, deism held that God kind of established the world, sort of. There was the higher power thing, and then let it go. And that's not the picture that we get in this section. And remember, this isn't, this isn't Job describing in descriptive thought his ideas on God. This is God on his own speaking to Job. <laughs> this is God representing how he is. So, so we're done with the, we're done with the, maybe Job was just writing in his own terminology. Job wasn't writing this. This is Job listening and shutting up. <laughs> and God's saying, I'm talking now. So he says, uh, have you commanded the morning since your days began and caused the dawn to know its place? Does this sound like a God who's kind of absent from his creation? Just kind of, I set it in place and now I'm letting it go. This still shows a God that's, that's interacting What is the purpose of light? light? Yes. Okay. 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 Sure. Okay. Okay. Oh, sure. He gives a perspective here that I think we all kind of intrinsically know, we live it, that maybe we don't understand right off because we think of all these physical things. But he says, uh, have you commanded the morning since your days began and caused dawn to know its place? So he's referencing light. Light, light comes up and you feel good. He says, so that it can take, so that it can take hold of the ends of the earth and the wicked are shaken out. This idea that light is there to be kind of a, an obstacle to wickedness. Just a concept. Right? Now, I'm not saying that, that there's something natural about light that prevents people from being bad, but primarily, when do bad people do bad things? when they think no one can see them. And there's a good time for that. Right? Now, again, we come to this attempt to use this for science and the idea of um, taking on form like clay under a seal and standing out like a garment. And we want to talk about that. Because two opposite sides have attempted to use this to prove something scientific. Um, and he's talking about the earth and light and dawn. And some people say, well, this is a reference to a circular earth, right? Uh, because Babylonians had a circular seal and they would roll it and press out a seal of clay or whatever. And um, so, so this is obviously a reference to, a scientific reference to a circular earth. 
And there is an opposite viewpoint of that. Um, and the opposite viewpoint is he's talking about the earth and he's talking about the clay being rolled out flat. <laughs> so it's like, uh, and the answer is that it's not talking about science. Right? He's talking about humanity being made visible, right? He's, he's, he's um, this whole idea is to God's purpose with humanity. From the wicked, their light is withheld, and up, the, up arm, the upraised arm is broken. That's the topic. The topic is not geology. <laughs> I was thinking when I read it, uh, nowhere it says that first of all, God created us perfect. Yes. And then, and then in Romans, it talks about the fact that God created us, that, that you know, since the beginning, the existence of God is, is, is obvious in what he made. So it almost seems to me like what he's saying is just like it's just like it's just like a seal has the has the mark of yeah. what pressed it, right? Yes. And it's Baker's mark, it's there. Correct. Right? It's yes. It. Right. And everything he created has Baker's mark. Sure. Yes. And and I think that's the idea here with the with the making to stand up like a garment. Now I don't know too many garments that stand up by themselves unless you really need to wash your clothes, but I, I don't know what that, that reference specifically is. I, I would like to go back and understand why. Uh, but I think the idea is somehow connected to standing up in judgment, right? It makes them to stand up. You're going to have to stand up. And in this shedding of light on, on human affairs is, I think, the, the idea. Verse 16, he says, have you entered the springs of the sea? Or have you walked in search of the depths? Have the gates of death been revealed to you, or have you seen the doors of the shadow of death? Have you com comprehended the breadth of the earth? Tell me if you know this. So he's looking at two things here and comparing two things. What is, what's the natural and what's the, the comparison to? What are the springs of the sea? <laughs> Open floor. What are springs of the sea? I don't know. But I've heard different arguments. I've heard they're volcanoes, right? kind of interesting thing. I mean, we have fountains in that sense um, and built islands. Uh, we have, we actually have springs under the sea, which is kind of weird, freshwater springs in the ocean. I don't know if this is divine knowledge um, because you can go to Florida and there's 600 of them. They, we were planning our vacation. I'm like, oh, that's interesting but they're visible. So, uh, so this is not necessarily some divinely inspired knowledge, right? This could be a natural observation and merely God is, God's asking, where did these come from? Please explain it. Explain how fresh water comes up out of the, out of the salt water. Yep. Yes. You're right. Yep. The fountains of the deep open up. So, so there's all sorts of stuff. 
and it's amazing um even just just in the ocean it is the least explored place on the planet uh you go down a couple of feet and and we're at a loss to explain stuff right and and uh I mean that's a slight exaggeration, but but underneath our Earth's crust and underneath the ocean, it's just, we don't go down too far, and and we're constantly discovering new interesting things. How does that survive here? And and all these questions and Gus's, please explain all these things down here. Please explain how this works. You're so smart. You go down a few feet and you can't explain stuff. All right. How can Job describe the things of God? And, and there's a comparison here because you can't even, what is the comparison of this underwater world to? What's verse 17 and 18 get into? Death in the afterlife. You can't even go down to the ocean floor and explain things to me. Please explain the grave. Explain how how I govern that. He's just kind of overwhelming Job with the with the degree of his capability and, and his knowledge. Um, get into verse 19 and, and from this he, we're going to get into an interesting thing uh, verse 19 through 21 we're going to get into some metaphysics here where is the way to the dwelling of light and darkness where is its place that you can take it to its territory that you may know the paths to its home do you know it because you were obviously born then or because your number of your days is so great. A little sarcasm. I like that. Now, this is often used by critics of the Bible to disprove the Bible. And what would be the... What, how, would that, how would this be used if I was a critic of the Bible? How would I use this verse? What, what, what's interesting about this? Okay. Yeah. Uh, well, that's. Yep. But but same same idea same idea. Light. Where's the paths of light? All these things are 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 used by um, by God to to illustrate something. As how do you store light? You can't store light. Light isn't photons don't work like that. Right? Um, so if if this is a scientific book, how would God now remember this is God speaking if God knows all this, certainly God would know that light can't be stored 
And again, this is not this is not God trying to be scientific. The speech isn't about God trying to be scientific. This is about God trying to teach Job something. Um, in here, I think it, if God spoke today, he would use things that are unexplainable to us today. He might speak differently in different places. These things are things that occupied their minds back then. And so he's saying, here, explain this concept to me. Um, just enlighten me. Since you know so much. You were obviously there when I made all these rules and laws and science. He's not even been there to observe it. And, and so when we get to the spiritual side of things, you don't know anything about what's going on in, in life and in, in, in the world. And what I'm doing with your life, you have no idea. In verse 22 through 24, <clears throat> he says, Have you entered the treasury of snow or have you seen the treasury of hail, which I have reserved for the time of trouble? For the day of battle and war, by what way is light diffused? For the east wind scattered over the earth. Interesting thing, some of the, uh, the, the elements. As we look at the you know, meteorology or however you want to look at that. Um, and he's going to kind of come back around to some of these concepts in, in, at the end. But uh, again, we've all seen probably a motivational poster somewhere with this photo and a... a expanded view of like a snowflake or something like that the treasury because it looks like jewels and that's not what this is talking about the crystalline structure uh, it's talking about a storage spot right like 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 cam said where is snow stored because you, you look out and he's like man all the snow came down where is it stored it, it, to you know, if I'm thousands of years ago, like how does it stay up there? It's on the ground now. It's pretty heavy, hard to move. How was it up there? Where did it come from? Well, there's a scientific answer for that, and we know it now, but they didn't know it then. And so he's just asking, give me the explanation. And again, if, if it was today, God might take something different, and um, and something of science that we couldn't explain. Please, you're so smart. You got snow down. Very good for you. Here, try this one. <laughs> right? There is something that's interesting here. I, I like this one. How is the, the path of light uh, diffused? I assume he's talking about a rainbow. I don't know. Is it lightning? What, what, what's your version? Because I, I might have a... Yeah, no, what, what, read the whole verse. Okay. So that might actually be a, a better um, reference because that is a, a reference to really something that initiates the, the um, kind of condensation is, is done with lightning. Right, so that might be that might be better than this version. 
uh, again, there's a lot of things we don't know. Um, so um, that's interesting. And he, he repeats something, an idea that Elihu kind of ended with. What are these things used for? What's that? Yeah, war and battle. God involves himself in things. Think about how many stories there are of, of things where a battle was determined by weather. Yeah, the fog and D-Day, yep. And um, right, the Spanish Armada, the Spanish Armada sunk in a, just boom, all of a sudden sunk in a, a freak storm. <laughs> the entire the entire Spanish fleet, and they've never been a, a power since. Just boom, done. I'm I'm done with Spain. Apparently, I don't know what God's what God's purpose was, but He's like, I'm done with you. Uh, and, and so we 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 look at this, and, and we think that these are completely separated. God says, I reserve these. When I want something to go a particular way, I'm going to shift history, and all I've got to do is stir an ocean, or here, have some fog, have this, have that. God is very connected to what's happening. So he gets into a summary of nature, verse 25 through 30. Who has divided a channel for the overflowing of water or a path for the thunderbolt to cause it to rain on land where there is no one? A wilderness in which there is no person in order to satisfy the desolate waste to cause a spring to cause, uh, to, uh, and cause to spring forth the growth of tender grass. Does rain have a father? Who has begotten the drops of dew? And from whose womb does ice come from? And the frost of heaven, who gives it birth? The waters harden like stone, and the surface of the deep is frozen. Now, a lot of these things are explainable, aren't they? Sort of. Again, we get to the idea of give me a few whys and we'd, we're out of answers. Um, but the overflowing of water is interesting because if back then I wanted to describe supersaturation of air, that's how I would describe it, um, maybe in, in an older language. And we talked about lightning creating this disturbance for condensation, and he gets into that. But what's significant about where this happens? Because that's what he brings into the idea. Where does it happen? Where there is nobody. Yet all these things operate on scientific principles, don't they? 
What does a scientific principle need to be science, laws? What does it need? Consistency. What makes something consistent? How? It's not, I mean, it can't be random, right? You don't get order out of something random. We all know that. So what, what makes something consistent or principled? Where does that come from? From a mind. Right? This is one of the C.S. Lewis kind of fleshed this idea out. Things have to come from a mind. There has to be a mind wherein all of science gets its scientific nature from. Yet here, God is saying, there's no human here. In this, in this theater of whatever is going on that I'm describing, all of this happens with no human interaction. There's no irrigation. There's no whatever going on. And these things are still going on. Who's doing that, Job? I'm doing that. And it all goes on without you. You think you're so powerful. I, I, I think it's, it's funny. Um, just you know, actually, I'll, I'll hold off on that thought because we're going to come to, to, uh, to the, one of the last sections here. Uh, verse 31 through 33. Uh, he says, can you blind, b bind the cluster of the Pleiades or loose the belt of Orion? Can you bring out Maseroth? And that's a, I'm not sure which one that is. Um, it's a constellation of some sort and in its season. Can you guide the great bear with its cubs? Do you know the ordinance of the heavens? Can you set their dominion over the earth? And we talked about constellations earlier. Job has referenced it. What is the, the idea as, as God now really expands even beyond our solar system, he's talking about the cosmos in general. And, and what is, what's the idea that he's driving at? What is he describing in each of these constellations? Not the individual constellations, by the way. Okay. On one hand, he's talking about you know the, the omnipotence of setting the, the cosmos in place, right? All right. But, but the fact that he uses the the, the, the names right. of, of some of these constellations that were given from other gods and yeah. all this other stuff, <laughs> basically saying I have dominion over these things. Yeah. They're, they're subject to me. Yeah. Not That's interesting. That's a good perspective. Um, so so all of these things, I guide them. Right. There's regularity, right? We know when when uh, Haley's comet's going to be back, right? Uh, we know all these things have have uh, we we guide our ships by constellations or used to, and 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 all these things have regularity. Right? We get back to the concept of order. God's divine power has put the universe in place, much like the previous idea. There's laws governing it, and God's involved in it. And it's beyond your ability to understand because while you're doing all the things that you're, you think is so important, and Job is so important that Job needs answers, I'm guiding a universe. You're really kind of small in the universe, Job. <laughs> you don't 
demand answers from me. And we uh, conclude with really a, a return to meteorology here. So we won't spend too much time on it. But he says, uh, verse 34, he says, can you lift up your voice to the clouds so that an abundance of water can cover you? Can you send out lightning that it can go and say to you, here we are. Who has put wisdom in the mind or who has given understanding to the heart? Who can number the clouds by wisdom or who can pour out the bottles of heaven when the dust hardens in clumps and the clouds cling together? And so we, we're going to stop with that. And really, he's attacked two ideas of Job throughout this, throughout this whole speech. Job has two inabilities that God has. What are Job's two inabilities? All these questions really combine to do two things. Number one, Job can't explain it. Right. I, I'm prepare yourself like a man. Give me the answers when, when, whenever you're ready. You can't explain it. What's his other thing he can't do? He can't control it. That is God. Job, I have the knowledge of what you're going through. I have it all. And I have the ability to control it. And you need to just give that up to me. Right. Man doesn't, man is so full of himself. It's like, like uh, he talks about the weather. And here we are thousands of years later and people do this uh, cloud seeding. <laughs> you know, it's like, and it doesn't work. And uh, like uh, how many thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars trying to make it rain? And it never works. Just money on the drain. That says, I have the ability to do that. Yeah. We can explain things in part. Right. We understand parts of them. Correct. We really can't explain it. We the why. Right. The why. Like he's talking about, this is why I think somebody in modern times might read this and say, oh, well, but we know about that now. Like, yeah. You know some of it, but you still can't explain why. Yeah, you don't, right. Right. You don't know the why. Right. Yes. Like Jesus said, you know, the, um, you know, the wind goes where you can't explain where the wind is going even today. Right. Yeah, if you're 50%, you got job security. <laughs> All right, we're done. Yeah.